So, I think Brandon Lawson has just joined us. Brandon, I was just musing that you are the librarian, not a boring librarian, but actually an exciting librarian. But that is your podcast, where you go over personal development books, self-help books, whatever, with your co-host, and you're like, good cop, bad cop. And <laughs> you go over the uh, takeaways from the books, what you've learned from the books, and sometimes approach it with a critical eye, which is generally what Daniel does. And so it is quite fun, quite exciting, can be funny, but always informative. And so that is the podcast that you come to us to. And I was telling people that you and I met when we had done some work together with Princess Trust, which was Prince Charles's charity. And you were setting up a business as a life coach. And I was running the mentorship program for that organization. And we have kept in touch over the years. And you have been helping people to transcend their limitations as a life coach and more and help them develop themselves. And you're sometimes a really critical friend. And you can be really pushy. But other time but that is often exactly what's needed for that individual. But that today we will be talking to you and asking you nine questions like everybody else. And we're trying this experiment live together. So I can hear you breathing, so I know you're here. You're <laughs> in the room. So thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Brandon, you're a young man with a lot of experience. So what's been your biggest challenge in business and how did you overcome it? Well, my biggest challenge in business for me is actually, I think, that I'm young in the field that I'm working in. Because a lot of people who aren't particularly familiar with how a life coach can benefit you think that the whole thing is based on life experience. So I qualified as a life coach maybe five years or so ago. So I would have been about 23. And at that point, and still now, I have people say, well, how can you possibly help someone you have no life experience yet. And that can be really frustrating. <laughs> and the way I overcome that normally is I just, I ensure that I show up in a way that means I can add as much value to someone, whether I'm coaching them or not. And if I have to give an explanation on why the age and the life experience doesn't actually matter, it's that coaching is not about what resources I can necessarily give to you. It's about us recognizing together collaboratively that you already have access to all of the resources you need to get to where you want to be, achieve the goals you might have in mind. And it's my job as the coach to work with you to unlock those and to question new ways of approaching it that come from you. And I think I had the best ever example from one of the guys, Graham, who coached me to be a coach. And he gave an example where he had a lady come to him and she was having a problem. He said, right, anything I can come up with in the first 10 minutes of hearing your problem, you've probably already considered. 
So I'm going to send you away. You're going to do a list of about 30 things you could think of that you could do to help with the situation and see what comes up. Come back to me. She came back to him a few weeks later and she had solved her problem. And the problem actually involved retired police dogs that her cousin worked with, which is not something Graham could ever have known was a resource in her life. So again, we already have all the resources we need. And so for me, when people say, oh, you're too young, you don't have the life experience. I may not have the life experience you're hoping that I have at this age, but I certainly have the tools and the approaches to help you unlock your resources. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, actually, uh, because that, to me, is a huge difference, a distinction between a coach and a consultant. Mm. So, as a coach, effectively, not exclusively, you are helping draw the answers within. You are helping draw out the answers the person has within. And so the skills necessary for that are you know, good listening, question, you know, you, you have to have all of these skills which are learnable, you can learn, and which obviously you have some innate talent as well with that in communicating with people and connecting with individuals. But it doesn't require a breadth of experience. It doesn't require you to have seen it and done it all in order to guide someone on that journey. But there's where there's a key distinction between a consultant and a coach, because as a consultant, you really do need the experience. You really do, and, and the breadth of experience. Somebody like me who's seen 50 different industries across you know three continents and seven different countries and six languages and has worked professionally uh, from everything from a, you know a, a one-man band to a global corporation who you know because uh you know it's the mouse <laughs> so so it's just it, it is um invaluable when it comes to consultancy because oftentimes People in business talk about best practice, and that's kind of a thing that I don't agree with, because when people talk about best practice, they always talk about what's the best practice within my industry. What's the best practice in, I don't know, locomotives or credit repair or whatever, whatever industry they're in, when in reality, almost all the time, but not all the time, because there's no such thing as absolutes, but almost all the time, the best transformative ideas come from outside your industry. So, you know, maybe in your oil rig, this is the best practice of how things are done to manage people. But guess what? Over at Apple or over in the nonprofit sector, they've developed something incredible that would revolutionize the way you do business. You shoot your productivity through the sky. And an example of that is, is, you know, when I worked with uh, one organization that you know, that's how we met, mm-hmm. but I won't name them again. <laughs> and it was on an HR thing and they were trying to do things from HR, win some thing called investors in people. And it was just a, a whole thing. And do you know what the best idea came from? A completely different sector because I brought it to them from Disney. And of course, the budgets are going to be radically different between Disneyland and, uh, you know, a charity. Mm. However, by adapting the exact same approach and the principles behind it, it was almost like effortless to win that award. And so 
that's just a concrete example of how you take something from one industry and transfer it or cross-pollinate it across to another industry. And that's most of the time where the best ideas come from. So best practice actually does not come from within your industry. And it is an extremely limiting concept when people do that. But as a consultant, that's invaluable to have that experience. It's essential to have that experience. As a coach, you don't need any experience. You just need the skills to be able to deliver it. But what frustrates me, unlike you, is the exact opposite problem, which is that you have all of these sort of young consultants in some big company who think that they're really qualified or that they know anything at all when they have no experience. They might have a degree, they may have uh, the backing of a corporate, you know, a big consultancy corporation behind them, but they lack in experience and breadth of experience. Mm. And they make extremely lousy consultants. And what you get output out of that, I've seen it firsthand, is fancy presentations, PowerPoints, and explanations and excuses and data, but you do not get, almost never, an actual transformative change, or as the buzzword likes to say, a step change in the specific thing that you're looking to solve. So you get all this smoke and mirrors, but you don't get the doubled or tripled income or revenue or profits. You don't get that. Yeah, get I think everything but that. I think in the coaching, so, having too much experience can actually hinder you sometimes because. I've qualified in NLP and neuro-linguistic programming as well to complement my coaching. And a large part of that is turning up in a state of unknowing. Because if you turn up with all this knowing and all this knowledge or this experience, assuming that that is going to hold the answer to this other person's problem, then you can miss some really key opportunities for that person and their growth or fixing their problem, whatever they've come to you for. So there is actually a real mindset and a real practice in turning up not thinking you already have the answer before you've spoken to them. And I have to practice that when I coach. You know, I'll have someone come to me and they'll say, oh, I have an issue in this field. And I have to say, actually, I think for a 27-year-old, I have a surprising amount of life experience. I think there's a huge presumption going along with my age there. But I also know I don't know everything. And I also know that I don't know what this person has tried. I don't know what they're comfortable with. I don't know all the nuances that they do. So as much experience as I have, because this is really personal work, I have to enter that call or that coffee meet or whatever, ex just not knowing anything. A blank sheet waiting for them to lay out their picture and allow me to review it with an open mind before then moving forward to guidance great i mean that's you know that's why you're a coach and i don't do that i'm a consultant <laughs> you know i can't i can do coaching but i i tend to come to people with solutions people i don't find the answer from within people come to me for the answer that's why the podcast is called just an answer mm. you can handle the truth <laughs> and i think that's where coaching is quite a unique area and yes, why people will look at that and say, oh, but you won't have the experience I require for you to be able to help me. And like you said, well, what you're looking for is a consultant. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a coach. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're <laughs> if you yeah. want me to hand you the answers based on my experience, 
we're probably not going to coach together. Exactly, and that's that's the big distinction there. And so uh, it's it's definitely a skill, and it's de- and I'll tell you what the Institute of Leadership and Management is is such an important skill. They've instituted a pun intended because they're the institute they've instituted a coaching uh certification program uh of their own now of course qualified you know credentialed you know it's not just random it's credentialed i think Mm. by the chartered management institute or something like that but anyway so they've they've actually instituted because it is so important in a workplace to be able to do that to to be able to not just be a, a good manager but actually you know, you know, good managers are, are able to coach their employees if and when needed. And so I think that's, uh, you're absolutely right about that. So what would you say is the accomplishment you're most proud of in business so far? Oh, that's a fun one. Well, I think actually that changed very recently. Um, earlier this year, I had a few clients come back to me um, off their own back and say, hey, you know, we coached with you before to various degrees and we'd, we'd like to speak to you again. And little did I know that one of these clients I had actually worked with back in mm, summer of maybe 2016. And I'd actually asked her to help me out with a project I was doing on a particular coaching approach. So I'd asked her, hey, we've worked together before in various areas since I was young. She's much older than I am and brilliant in her field. And I said, would you possibly be open to me coaching you quite intensely for a space of six weeks with this particular approach I'm working on on in development. And she said, yeah, that'd be great. That'd probably be helpful right now. And we did that. Now she came back to me at the start of this year and wanted to coach again, this time obviously paying for the service because it had helped her before. And now I, on my side of things, had seen great growth in her during that period. And she had been going through a really challenging time. So it was wonderful to see her empowered at that point and really be able to take the reins again but when we started our first call our kind of consultation call before picking up the contract she very off the cuff said oh yeah well you know you saved my life before with this so I thought that we could work on and I stopped (laughs) I stopped I said I did we did what she goes oh yeah did I not explain this to you Oh, I was I was at the point of considering suicide for months before we worked together and you really pulled me out of that. Did I not tell you that? And I'd, I had to take a minute because I thought, wow, I'm aware that this stuff is life changing. This coaching work can be super transformational for people. And we had discussed the benefits she'd reaped from it because obviously I've been doing a bit of a project. So she that had been part of what we'd done. She'd fed back to me at the end. But she had not shared that with me. And... Mm. I just thought to myself, wow, this is this is why I do this. Because you don't know how much of an impact you really are having with people. And to, for that's really the ultimate result she could possibly have ever gotten from coaching, is her life back in her hands in that way. And so, yeah, I think, I think this year that became my newest, highest accomplishment. And I didn't earn any money from that contract. If anything, I thought she had helped me more than the other way around back then with that. And for her to come to me with that, I thought, yeah, this this proves to me that this is what I want to do. Because if I can help people to that level, then let's go. Yes, if you have that ability to to do that for someone, then that's a remarkable thing. And it's certainly something I like to hear when people say, uh, answer that question about what they're most proud of. Because people 
can answer that any way they choose. You know, they might be most proud of a, a sum of money they've made or a book they've written or uh, some other accomplishment that's personal. Uh, but I, Walt Disney used to say, and I, I don't have the exact quote with me, is that the, the caliber of person that we look for in hiring at Disneyland is the type of person who loves to bring joy and delight to other people and thereby derive pleasure for themselves. So I always admire someone who likes to do something for someone else. And that is sort of the reward and the validation that they have. When people ask me that question, for example, I'll just briefly tell mm. you what my answer whenever I'm asked what I'm most proud of. I, I say to people, look, it's, it's not an amount of money. It's not a professional accomplishment. It's when I had a guy working for me who was about to get fired for health and safety violations, uh, gross misconduct, and I, I saw something in him and I said, hold on, uh, let me have, let me try. And uh, I did. And within two weeks, you know, he was the top performer in a team of 200, later promoted to management, and now he's in senior management. And this would have been the end of his career in that industry, you know, gross misconduct, endangering lives, mm. that kind of stuff. So this would have been the end. And I, you know, I never got him, you know, thanking me profusely for anything like that. But it is meaningful for me because I know that it was, who knows what would have happened to him? Who, who knows where he would have been today? And the fact that I was able to do that for someone, I really enjoyed that. And that's, that's actually what I'm most proud of is having that effect on one person's life in an organization I care deeply about, and that's that's for me. So I, I love answers like that, <laughs> that look beyond yourself and talk about what it is that you can do for another human being. So how did having a core strategy play into achieving that accomplishment? Well, this is funny. I was having a discussion with someone just last night about this because obviously you can talk about business strategies and you can talk about coaching approaches and you can go real systematic on that kind of thing. And I've learned that for me, I have to stay the other end of the spectrum to maintain my motivation in business. And a good example is that recently I joined a few entrepreneur groups on Facebook to just mingle and see how people were getting on and possibly offer some value to some of the members, especially young entrepreneurs. And everywhere on these groups is people laying down scam links for Bitcoin investments and instead of actually engaging in the discussion, copy and pasting, hey, we should have a call sometime because I can offer you bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. It'd be great to connect. And all they, this person asked was, what do you get up to around business work? <laughs> and I get really upset by that because I really do feel things very intensely. I'm a very emotional person. And I feel like people are not connecting on a heart level and they're not focusing on bringing value to people. And so for me, when I'm focusing on business work, even if the work I have to do that day is very technologically orientated or it is sitting and working on business strategy, my personal core strategy for all of the work that I do is the question, what value can I add to someone's life today? And making that the question that fuels me to get out of bed, get productive, create really valuable content and to connect with people in an how can I help you way rather than hey come and pay for coaching come and put money in my bank account 
Now, obviously, money is not bad. Money is necessary to continue working in the business and producing what you do and helping people, people more. But if I find, I find for myself, if I focus on the money or I focus just on the business contacts and that kind of thing, I lose heart with what I'm doing, and I lose interest in it, and I find I'm not able to coach to my highest value. And so, when I coached this lady back in 2016, I was developing a 12 session approach that I hoped would be offering immense value to someone. And so I went to her and I said, "Hey, can I? Can you help me by letting me help you?" And she came out the other end with real value because every time I approach a session, I'd say, "Right, what value can I add to her life today in our session?" Yeah, and I think that's that's really good to think about others. Again, it goes back to thinking about someone other than yourself.、Um, I, it's unfortunate that I've, I've seen those kind of groups. I usually don't stay in them very long.、Uh, not 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 because it gets my back up or it know, does mine particularly, <laughs> but just because. Yeah, but you know, I, I tend to be a little more chill about it. I, it's just because it's it's low value and security risk. To, to be、mm. frank with you, I I do not want to subject my. Facebook, which is、uh, a, a platform that I use、uh, a lot, and it's a platform that I'm connected with a lot to people that are family, that are friends all over the world, and also business. And it's a platform that has my login credentials for a lot of places, so I don't want to put that at risk with some random scammer from who knows、mm-hmm. where in the world who's potentially using a、uh, a VPN and pretending like they're from somewhere else.、And、nothing wrong with VPNs; <laughs> I use them too, but. It's it's the, they're they're good for your own security, but somebody who's disguising where they're really from. So you know, there's all those issues, right? So instead of worrying about that, I just exit those groups. Now I'm going to plug、uh, a group for you if you're interested, because、uh, you reviewed Dr. Terry Levine's book about to break on the show. <laughs> We did. She actually is a fu- yeah, and and that's cool. But she is a founder of the Heartrepreneur movement, and she has a Facebook group that is not like that at all. So Heartrepreneurs are entrepreneurs doing business heart to heart, and it is、uh, not like that at all. The the bad. Thing. So you will not get those kind of links and scammers and garbage、uh, in there. You, you, I, I forget how many she has. She has four or six thousand people in there, and it is it is very very strict in terms of what people、uh, cannot post.、Uh, so people post a lot of value, and that's really pretty much all you're allowed to post in there is things that are of value. It can be little value. It doesn't have to be like yeah, life changing. Like, yeah. You, 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 Life-changing, but what it can't be is like posting random scam links, or you know, or trying to to connect with people for a、uh, you know selfish reason. So I would, I'm just plugging that for you、um, and anybody listening because it's a really, it's one of the really really high value groups, communities. Call it a buzzing community. It's it's really one of the high value ones on Facebook. And to be quite frank, I don't know that there's too many high value ones on Facebook. I know a couple, of, a couple dozen, and I know the people who own those groups, so、uh, including my own. But the preponderance of groups on Facebook, in my opinion, are very low value, very, very low value. Even if they have millions of people in them, they're low value groups, loaded and laced with scam artists. So moving on from that, because <laughs> that's kind of like a nasty subject. So. What are three to five key skills or moves or techniques that protect against failure? Protect against failure. Hmm. Now that's a really, that's a really interesting 
word to use because do you need to protect against failure is an important question when you look at failure it's all about your perception it's is failure a bad thing and it's that old thing you'll read everywhere about failing forward so if you're viewing failing as i made another attempt i'll have picked up some knowledge on the way and i'll try again then failing is not necessarily something to protect against now obviously in a business world when or a financial world where you're putting things at stake obviously failure could mean terrible consequences so on a personal level i think the first way to protect against failure therefore would be to stop seeing it as a bad thing it's not something that means that you suck as a person and that you are terrible at what you do i recently did a um a really fun forgiveness exercise actually on some past failings of my own because i'd found that i was bringing forward that idea of but i failed at this multiple times before into my current practice and this is on a personal level this is actually driving a car i still don't have a license at my age because every time i've gone to do it i freaked myself out or not done enough lessons and just dropped the ball but in my mind that was still i realized stuck as a failure so it was weirding me out to be trying again now even though i've been doing very well and so i sat and i i did a forgiveness exercise actually the one that's mentioned in terry levine's book the uh, radical forgiveness worksheet by colin tipping and i looked at it and thought wow i'm looking at this like i'm a victim of this situation and by working through that sheet i came to the realization that my perception could instead be technically i never failed because i'm still trying now and i've learned something new every time so yeah one of the key things would be about your perspective on failure the second thing would be related to something i mentioned briefly just a second ago which is don't think that failure reflects on your value as an individual So if you fail at getting a driving license, if you don't get that contract at work, if you fail in such a fun way as dropping your shopping on the way home and you didn't manage to get home with your shopping, whatever it is, if a relationship breaks up, whatever, it's really important to not allow that to reflect inward on your own level of self-regard. Because it's all about how you respond to that failure. and it's very natural i think for us as humans to go i failed i'm a failure i'm no good and to allow that to affect your ongoing performance so what we can do to help with that is to keep that very separate so that's something that happened in my life and what can i learn from it and how can i move forward in a really empowered position by looking at the idea of i did as best as i could in that moment i would have done better if i could have done now let's do better next time or let's change something or let's be a little bit more consistent next time and continue to try because i know my method is actually the right one so i would say firstly it's your perception on what failure is and then on top of that not linking that to your self regard and always moving forward from a position of learning and empowerment Okay, so let me just see if I got this. So the moves we're talking about is number one: failure ain't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. So think about whether or not 
feeling really is. And also, episode, sorry, to develop on that, if you're not, if you're looking at fear, uh, failure as something that is potentially positive, you lessen the fear degree in the actions you're taking. And especially if it's something that's out of your comfort zone, and therefore if you do succeed, it's a really big reward for you, and the failure could be crushing to you. If you're looking at it as, even if I fail, I'm going to benefit from this in some way, the fear lessens and you're able to move forward in a freer way and take the risks with more more heart and really give 100% of who you are into that, which is actually going to increase your chances of success. Okay, so, so yeah, so... We start by almost rephrasing yeah. that failure as not 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 such a horrible thing. Number two, we then look at um, we so, so not number two, but skipping to the third one you made is what lesson can be learned from the failure, because that's the journey we're on. So to to escape this whole idea that we even need to protect against failure, because that may be disempowering in and of itself. And what we're arriving at is the idea that, okay, whatever failures we do, we're not intentionally trying mm. to fail. I mean, we're not setting ourselves up for that, but whatever we do encounter, we're going to be learning a lesson from it. So it's actually not even a failure, it's a learning experience. So that that's kind of where I'm, uh, what I'm taking away at least. Yeah, and said. I was working with a client at the weekend actually on difficulty with decision making because he was so afraid that if he made the decision, he potentially point himself towards failure if he picked the wrong one. And so I discussed with him the no-lose decision model that I first picked up from Susan Jeffers' amazing book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, where she said, rather than looking at the idea of a right or wrong decision, which could lead to success or failure, instead look along the journey that you're gonna take and recognize that there are goodies to be had on either one of those roads, whichever way you decided to go. And then once you've made that decision, committing 100% to the fact you've made that decision is gonna increase your chance of success as well. While you're enjoying the ride, enjoying the goodies that you've picked up along the way, because you're recognizing them for what they are. And then that end result has is always a beneficial one, whether you are technically terming it as success or failure. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that, no, that's interesting. It's certainly, you know, the newest, you know, one of the one of the Star Wars movies, uh, Yoda talks about failure and all that stuff. So it's definitely, um, it's definitely good. Or, you know, to simplify it all, uh, what was the story? I think it was Thomas Edison was asked once, you know, he invented the incandescent light bulb and failed 10,000 times and somebody asked him about that and he was like, no, 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 I, I just found, I just successfully found 10,000 ways it would not yeah. work until I found the one way that it would. So there's always ways to, to do that and um, certainly certainly something I need to keep in mind personally because I uh, have not always dealt very well with failure, <laughs> don't like it, don't love it, and uh, don't necessarily learn the lessons from it until much, much, much later. And so I, I could really uh, probably use that. I could probably really use that like right away. So how has leveraging proven strategies affected your earning capacity? Well, when I was originally coaching and, you know, I first qualified and I was hoping to get those first few clients that would help to move my business forward through referrals, I actually, first of all, went back to the university I did my degrees in and I offered through a lady I still knew in the faculty office to some third year students a 
free course in coaching over so many weeks for up to five people and encourage them to contact me for it. So I offered a load of free work to begin with. And at that stage, when I was a very new coach, my concern was about how they viewed me as a coach and whether they were feeling like the coaching was doing what they hoped it would do. And all of my mindset on it was on the external. And it it meant that I showed up super over-prepared. I already had decided what I was going to talk to them about. I was not in that state of not knowing. And it wasn't until later on, because you know they were all free clients and none of them came on with me afterwards. They thanked me, they got results, but only one of them came on with me afterwards as a paying client. My approach shifted at some stage too. No, 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 it's not about how they view me as a coach. It's not about whether it's fulfilling their expectations the way they had it pictured. It's about me turning up in that not knowing state with the only knowing I have being, I'm gonna give you so much value in this session that you're gonna be blown away. And it's gonna really help you. And however I do that, is irrelevant as long as it happens, as long as you get that value. And as soon as I shifted it to that, my coaching clients respond. They work harder to get the results. They commit more, they get more involved and they are willing to pay a higher fee because they understand that my commitment is there and that theirs needs to match it. Because at the end of the day, it's their results they're after. So I definitely noticed a shift and an increase in earnings up to I think what the most common jump was about an 108% jump in the fee so over double and they were happy to do that because they said yeah I'm getting so much value out of this that if your fees are going up or if you need a higher commitment from me and part of that comes in the form of a financial commitment to keep me here and present I'm willing to do that Nice. That's really nice, actually. (laughs) So what was the best strategy that you ever learned and what impact did it have on your business? Oh, what strategy did I ever learn? Mm. The best one. The best one. Now I'm trying to think through the different mentors I've had and I've yeah, because yeah, I, I feel like I've picked up so much value yeah, over like, the years. It's like when someone asks me who your favorite cat is, and I'm like, I love both my cats. That's why I only have I one rabbit. Them. There's no favorites then, and he knows that. <laughs> <laughs> so the most valuable thing I've picked up, again, I think it comes back to this idea of separating my personal value with my work to a degree. Because if my client's going to turn up, and I'm more concerned about how I'm coming across than I am the value of the work, it it doesn't work because they can they sense that in you. You know, it's like that they can smell the fear. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I've mentioned her already. Susan Jeffers is the staple practitioner for me and her books I've read so many times. She just comes at it with so much love and sincerity and such great examples and for me, I'm naturally a real perfectionist. So I'm a real procrastinator as well at heart. And I had to teach myself the question, if I was the kind of person who was good at that, what would I do? And that's really helped me in my business. Because for example, I'm 
consider myself terrible with technology and you know website building social media all of this technology related stuff you might as well just put me back in the stone ages and i'll be happy with a stone tablet and some flint and some chalk <laughs> i'm better off back there so when i well how old are you again? <clears throat> about 107 <laughs> so when i come across something like that when i'm doing my business things i think right i've got to do something technological oh and i find myself finding any distraction possible I have pinned up on my board in big letters, if I was the kind of person who, enter the fill the blank, what would I do? And so I asked myself, if I was the kind of person who was good at website development, what would I do right now? And of course the answer is I'd get the bloody hell on with it. And if I didn't know how to do a particular thing, I'd go find out because I'm confident in my ability to execute that activity. And that's... That's something I'd recommend everyone pin to their board. If I was the kind of person who was good at this or did this, what would I do? For those moments when you find yourself really hesitating on that next step, which you know is gonna move you and your business forward, you just can't quite bring yourself to do it because in your head you're telling the story of, I'm no good at that, I can't do that. That's good. That's that's a really good tip there because um... I know a lot of people um, struggle with hesitation. Call it procrastination, mm. hesitation, whatever you want to call it. Um, how do you move past that? And that's a, that's a really good tip. I can't say I've ever heard that before, uh, so I haven't tried it. But I'll be trying that one next time. Like, I need to finish a book. I've kept people waiting now on this book for a very long time mainly due to uh, perfectionism and procrastination. I'm just like tinkering with it here, tinkering with it there. And it's like, you know, I'm hesitating to say, okay, it's it's done. At least, you know, edition mm. one is done. And so I'll, I'll be trying that one. I was the kind of person who was good at editing and blah, 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 what would I do? So I will, uh, I'll give that Dude, one a go. feedback. Know how that goes. Yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. Cause that's a good, good strategy that one is. So what single strategy are you I would say that mine is absorbing personal development material, largely through the form of books, collating that information, and then offering up the juicy morsels of value that came out of that to people who can benefit from it. Which is why I've recently started my new podcast venture, The Librarian Podcast, because that's exactly what I'm doing on there. I'm going to read a personal development book. And then I'm going to sit with someone, with Daniel, who is not into personal development, does not necessarily think it's of much value, and who has not read the book. And then I'm going to share with him and the listeners the key points of the book that I felt were the most valuable and how to apply them so that you can listen to, say, a 30-minute podcast, 40-minute podcast, and get the value that me sitting and reading a whole book over a day or several days gave me. And therefore, I've collated and shortened that information and given it to you on a silver platter and then encourage you to go off and, and use that to your best ability. Yeah, and what's fun about your podcast uh, is that the pair of you are like um, in the <laughs> brain, you know, the, pa- like, the pair of you are like, you know, because he's not into that stuff. So it's like, it's kind of funny sometimes what he says, because he's not a dumb oh, absolutely guy. Absolutely not. He's not ignorant. And so he and he makes really, really good points. And 
someone like me, I can actually, and I've said this to you before, I've actually sent you little voice clips or whatever on, on Anchor FM, and I've, I've said, well, actually, I, I think you're both right. Mm. And here's how, because it's, it's like from his perspective, some of the, some of the skepticism is correct, actually. It's, uh, it, it, he's right. But what he's not seeing is that, is that actually it's, it's still valid. And, and I'm thinking about the time of the debate about the placebo mm. effect and, and how what I find, found interesting is that, yes, you're, you're right. To a large degree, it is, the, it is the, the mental, it is the placebo effect of the result that was happening in there. And so my, my then next uh, thing, point to make was, so? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 do you what, what what's more important to you the result or the technique so who cares if the technique was all in your head did you get the result or not do you feel better is your appetite normal are you less anxious i mean what's more important to you the technique or the result and so for me it's 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 like you're both right because it, it is yeah very much influenced by the particular mental model or exercise or whatever that was discussed at that point in time and you could have easily visualized the well, link. that's where i feel it's know? really valuable yeah. to have him on the podcast because i i believe in personal development and i believe in these approaches and i will sing their praises till the sun sets but there are people who are going to come across my material your material others where they don't necessarily connect with it on the surface level and they don't see how it can be of value to them, how it can benefit them. And they're gonna ask the same questions that Daniel's gonna ask on the podcast. They're gonna go, well, why the hell would you forgive someone who did something bad to you? Screw them. And then, you know, from the other side of things, you say, yeah, well, you don't have to tell them you forgave them. It's about you. This is about you. This is about you being better, you being freed up from the emotional baggage. Do you want to live without the emotional baggage? Because if all you have to do is some exercises on forgiveness without even telling that person that you're forgiving them, and if it's all just happening in your head, did you come out feeling better? Because if you did, great. <laughs> yeah, and then there's another distinction there, though, is that there's also a difference between forgiveness and pardoning someone. Yes, I heard and you so mention this on another podcast I... episode when I was listening the other day, actually, and I fully agreed. I almost sent you another voice message on it. <laughs> oh, you can. You can do it. But the, the, the point is, is that, is that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a good thing to understand is that, you know, forgiveness you do for you or for the other person, it doesn't matter, but you do it and it's healthy for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're pardoning them. You're not all of a sudden saying, well, actually, yeah, it was okay that you, you know, m murdered my dog mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's not okay. We'll never be okay. It's, it's not something I'm going to ever pardon because it's, it's a wrongdoing, but that doesn't mean that I will forgive you. You know, I've dealt with that, you know, where I have forgiven you know cheating exes you know and it's like I, and i and i've i've said to them you can you you really need to find somebody else and pursue somebody else you know 10 years later because i have absolutely forgiven you there's you i'm, I'm not saying that you know this, it, it's gone but I, we're never getting back together again 
period, end of story. So find someone else. Make yourself yeah. happy. Yeah, and then if you it. can move on, feeling of, better. I haven't pardoned the offense. I haven't pardoned it. I haven't said, oh, cool, yeah, let's get back together on that. And if you cheat again, that's cool. I've not said that, <laughs> but I've absolutely forgiven it. I've, I've let it go. And it's it's uh, it's both for my benefit and for them. But if even if you're Machiavellian and you just, you just look out for yourself, uh, that's cool. You know, it, it's then for your benefit. You do it. So it doesn't matter either way you look at it. So I think that's a really good lesson. And but the, there's another thing that you said, which is that, you, you know, having them there is valuable because, uh, you know, people might be having those questions as well. But having them there is also probably good because a lot of those people might actually just tune out and be like, oh, he's just another one of these personal development fans. And so forget it. But because you have, you know, Daniel there listening in, now all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute, this might actually be interesting because let, let's hear what he's going to say, how he's going to challenge these, you know, concepts now, you know? So it, it actually, I think, would attract, hopefully will, attract potential audience that would probably not even tune into your podcast because they're just not into it. So it's, it's that double benefit, in my opinion, of, of having him there, aside from his, uh, his nice little accent from the north which is kind of also exotic or it's, it's cool you know he's got this northern accent of England which is a contrast to yours so it's kind of cool you know it's like here you are with your blah blah blah, blah, blah. he comes all blah, 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 blah. I can't me with my blah, southern blah, blah, accent him with his northern offering those two polarities in yeah, more than one yeah. sense you get the distinct <laughs> The distinct British accents, you know, and it's just, I, I don't know, I, I geek out on that stuff, so <laughs> I think it's cool. So what's the, the best number one strategy you're implementing in 2020? So my best strategy for 2020 is, oh, I, I love this so much. It's not aiming to do things perfectly or install new habits that I have to do every single day or anything like that. It's about finding the things that in the last year or two added real richness to my life and I have a list of things where I've asked, I've told myself, I just want to do more of this this year. I don't want to limit it to, oh, I have to do, for example, play football. I don't have to play once a week. I just have to play more often than not. And this is the key phrase, more often than not. I don't have to go and see a new concert every month but it's on my list of things I'd like to do more of. So I just want to do more of this this year than last year. And especially with the whole coronavirus lockdown and all of that, a lot of people's goals will have been knocked sideways because the world is not functioning as it was at the start of the year. So they may think, wow, my goals have been completely thrown out the window, can't achieve them. If they really stamp these timeframes and these frequencies onto them, so for me, it's that idea of, am I being productive or am I doing that new healthier habit more often than not and more than last year? And that's helping me in my business. It's helping me in my health. It's helping me in my relationships. It's helping me in all areas. And I think I picked that up from Sam Laura Brown's The Perfectionist Project podcast. It's brilliant. She's from Australia. So there's another accent for you to geek out on. And she... <laughs> As a, she terms herself a recovering perfectionist, she offers that kind of valuable content. And for me, it was like a bell rang in my head because I've read The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy and I've, I've read all of these books and where they've said about installing new habits that help you to succeed. But for me, it doesn't work very well because I find if I miss a day or I miss a task or I have an unproductive day unexpectedly on my business work or whatever, 
I feel terrible about it. I think I've failed on my new plan of improving with this because I missed a day. Mm. And for example, the start of this lockdown, we got the coronavirus and we were ill for a month as soon as the lockdown hit. And we were not well enough to work out from home, to practice languages on audio programs, to even keep a sleep routine. We could not function properly for about a month in our home. And so if, you know, all of my, I'm going to work out more often than not, even that was thrown out of the way. But me being able to say yes, but remember on the bigger picture, we have two layers, more often than not, and more than last year. So I had to hold off for a while while ill. But that doesn't mean my goal for the whole year is thrown out, because as long as I do more on it than last year, I've got the full year-long level approach that I'm working on. That's really good. I, I like that, because it's to focus on progress and not perfection. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I like that, and it's definitely something I need, because I can tend to do that. And you know what? There's, there's a certain point where perfectionism sometimes is good, and then a lot of times it just shuts shuts me down. A lot of times it's just like I, I, I'm just like actually not moving forward mm. because I, I it, it's whatever it is. It's not as beautiful as this, or it's not as perfect as this, or there's a note out of place. Let's say if it's a, a piano piece, or there's a. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Absolutely. So it's just, in every domain, it it's good in the sense that it drives me to produce better work but it's not so good in that sometimes it just totally shuts me down. And that actually, that all or none thinking is very, very bad for you, especially in, in the realm of physical health and diets and exercise. Because if I look at diet, for example, the perfectionism, the all or none thinking is like, well, okay, well, I've just had a, a piece of chocolate or whatever that, that was not part of the eating plan and so that just turns into a, a night that just turns into 10 yeah you know into, well you i'll know, just eat the whole box, box then yeah because, <laughs> yeah well because it's that whole and you know funny funny enough today is actually national donut day so <laughs> so, so it's uh so funny i mentioned junk food but the point is is, is that it's the all or none thinking that is the big damaging thing here. So if we just focus on progress, not perfection as well, did you eat a little bit better than yesterday or, you know, yeah, or whatever? Exactly. Then and I think we're, I think we're healthier, healthier than previously. Better. And I have a chart that I've drawn up on, again, on my board. I have this like whole wall of stuff in front of my desk of these things. One where it has a scale from left to right and at the right end is perfection and at the left end is no progress at all. And about 80% of the way up is excellence. And if you can just aim for excellence as opposed to perfection, and you just aim for that progress rather than perfection, you avoid the paralysis that is the procrastination, the hesitation, the not even starting it because you're not sure you're ready to make it perfect yet, that never finishing it because it's not perfect yet. So now no one's ever gonna see that work. It's practically not on the chart. If you can aim for excellence, you avoid entering that very end of the right hand of the scale where it's paralyzing and it's fear inducing and we have the mindset of all or nothing it's not enough if it's not perfect it's not good enough and as a result i'm not good enough you can just say yeah but am i doing this more often than not am i doing it better or more than i was last year is my life and again on the bigger scale of things is my life on the upward curve Am I increasing the value and the richness and the health and the money or whatever it is you're working on? Is it on the upward curve? Because as long as it's going upward, it doesn't matter how gradual that curve is or if it never reach, reaches the peak. We just want to be growing eternally as people. And we just want to be always doing better than the day before. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's so true. We just want to be, uh, or, or what's that? Well, the, I think the it's like must be the original personal development quote from uh, Emile Coué, the Frenchman, and then they translate it into every day in every way and getting better, better, and better. That's it. He's, he's not saying every day in every way I'm I'm perfect. He's not even saying I'm more perfect. He's just saying I'm getting better. He's not better. even saying he's good. <laughs> he's not even saying he's good. Yeah, he could be a total total jerk, but he's just getting better, better, and better, and that's good enough. And so I think that is uh, a very uh, helpful thing to keep in mind. Certainly, I need to keep that in mind. So, uh, Brandon, how do we learn more about your proven process? Okay, so at the moment, I'm doing a huge amount of development. So we were talking about Facebook groups earlier. I am in the process of creating a soon-to-be-launched membership program called the Library Book Club, where you can become a member and you can get all the richness, all of my methods, all within a very well-moderated group, which is designed to be a haven for personal development, self-love, and enriching your life. Now, I can't give you a link to that yet because it's in development. But if you want to stay in touch and you want to stay in touch with my material in the meantime, at the moment, I would say, go over to the Librarian podcast. That's on Anchor. It's now on Spotify and anywhere else podcasts are found. And anywhere else podcasts yeah, and are you'll found. find Perfect. links in there and references to anywhere else you can find my work. So the podcast is a place to go for some real injection of personal development improvement in your life right now from me. Okay, fantastic. So uh, just to reiterate, everybody needs to just go and check out the Librarian. That's, again, not a boring librarian, but an exciting librarian. The word life, L-I-F-E, Brarian, B-R-A-R-I-A-N. You look it up on podcast, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, or just anchor.fm. You will find it and you will see Brandon Lawson's really fun podcast. And do you know what? Even if all you get out of it is some amusement and comedy value because you hate personal development, then you should still sign up for the podcast because that's the very worst that can happen. And you never know, you might actually learn a thing or two that will help you feel a tiny bit better. So Brandon, thank you so much for coming on today. It's always fun to talk to you. And, um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.